This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Last week, we showed you how Joseph Smith, the father of Mormonism, lied about an Egyptian papyrus that he said was the writings of Abraham. But that's not the worst of it. Tonight, Jake Hilton shares what Joseph Smith claimed about artwork depicting Yehovah in Egyptian mythology that is anything but holy, because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. If you watch the show regularly, you know we usually have a series that are you know three or four episodes long. Well, this one is something special and there was a lot more to tell. So tonight we have episode five and there's another one next week. It's all with Why I Left Mormonism with Jake Hilton. It's been shocking so far, but this one will make you angry. But there's something that will make you smile on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. Let's talk about it with my co-host, Ted Clayton. Scott, this is going to be, and this has been, a spectacular series with Jake Hilton. I can't wait to see tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, call your friends, tell them that Shabbat Night Live is on right now. That's right, and you don't have to be Mormon to see this one. I mean, no. it, this is just, it's a great expose of, of what is out there in things that maybe we don't, you know, like Mormon or uh, or other uh, faiths that are sort of Christian but we're not sure of. I'm yeah. thinking of the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's Jehovah's what I was Witnesses. trying to think of. Yeah. Things yeah. like this. Just to dive in and say, what do these folks believe and why do they believe it? Not to mm. condemn them, but just to say, okay, I get what you are studying. I get where you're coming from, but here is why you've been misled. Right, and you know, Michael always says the one important thing is study the Bible for yourself. Make sure that you have a good understanding before you believe in the understandings of other men. You okay. know, it's funny how you said that, Ted, because like even when my wife and I came from a Pentecostal church, uh, we mentioned mm -hmm. last week how I'd been in uh, Baptist world and so would yeah, you, and yeah, then I, you know, yeah. all this, all these travels through our lives, and then uh, we were in a Pentecostal church when we were introduced to Torah observant being a, a Torah, Torah observant believers. Yes. And we just did that. We we read the Bible for what it was. We listened to some other Messianic teachers and that kind of thing, yeah. even Michael Rood and yeah. Brad Scott. and uh, But we said, you know what, let's just forget everybody, mm. read the Bible for what it says without any influence from man. Right. And Yehovah reveals himself through his spirit. It just, it becomes, oh, well now it's obvious. It always happens that way. You know, as we're going through, as Michael would say, churchianity, uh, as we're going through these studies and and we're listening to these things, we, we're often saying, okay, somehow this didn't sound right. Or you would say, there's got to be more than just this. And I think that's where really believing in truth comes from. Because, you know, 
there is so much more out there, but you have to be able to open your mind and open your experiences to it. And ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you, Michael Rood, if you haven't ever read the Chronological Gospels, you need to read the Chronological Gospels. Michael took 40 years to put that book together, and I'm gonna tell you, it will really open your eyes and make you see the Bible in an entirely entirely different way. Right, and speaking of man-made tradition, so this three and a half year thing that we've all mm, grown all up grown knowing, up just with. assuming mm -hmm. it was true and didn't question it, there was no reason to question right, it. Right. But now when you understand that all the feasts line up with Yeshua's birth, death, resurrection, second coming in order, right, and that right. his ministry was actually 70 weeks, not three and a half years. Oh, wait a minute, 70 weeks? 70 weeks, Ted, yes, 70 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> As if you didn't know. That's but right. This week actually marks the start of those 70 weeks. Uh, it's the 20th day of the 11th month, which is actually Sunday of this week. Yeah. And uh, this is where the voice from heaven was heard during Yeshua's mikvah. And this started the 70-week journey until the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of the disciples at the end. And why wouldn't Yehovah make Yeshua's ministry exactly 70 weeks. It just makes sense when you dive into it. You know? That's right, that's right. And ladies and gentlemen, you can read more about it mm -hmm. in the Chronological Gospels. I yep. believe that's gonna be on like page 69 or something. Yeah, those yep, lines. Yeah, exactly. About yep. the, the hearing the voice uh, yep. from heaven. Mm -hmm. oh, and that's and fantastic. <laughs> interestingly, Michael has a commentary about that and he says that this is after this when, when you know, the voice from heaven was heard a couple of times, three mm -hmm. times I think in Yeshua's ministry. Once was on the Transfiguration right. and then there was this. Um, and another time, but they said, we will no longer pay attention to a voice from heaven. <laughs> that is actually, oh, wow. yeah, so they were like, that's pretty hard. enough of this, we're no more of this hearing a voice from heaven, we, we won't believe this voice. And that's actually, the Pharisees actually said that, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Passover is gonna yep. be unbelievable. Speaking of unbelievable. Passover is gonna be fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Passover is gonna be April 7th through the 8th. You can watch it right here on uh, where you're seeing Shabbat Night Live right now. We're, matter of fact, we're gonna have a special Shabbat Night Live that's gonna be all about Passover uh, that's happening on that particular Friday night. And then all day Saturday, we have got just a cornucopia of fantastic speakers. And one guy I was uh, remiss to forget last week was of course uh, the same guy who's doing our, our, our uh, love gift this month, you which bet. we'll talk about in a minute, Matthew Vanderels. Matthew Vanderels, yes. a great young pastor. I'm telling you, ladies, and gentlemen, you're not going to want to miss what he has to say. Absolutely. And we have that. And Tim Mahoney is going to be yes. here, right? So. Tim Mahoney is going to be here to talk about uh, a new movie he's got coming out. Uh, we've also got uh, Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. Ladies and gentlemen, that is just, I'm telling you, Dr. Nehemia Gordon, Michael considers to be the biblical, uh, biblical scholar of our age. And he's gonna come back in with another wonderful teaching. This is gonna be a Passover that no one's gonna to wanna to miss. And of course, Michael himself, Michael Rood will be here with us for Passover. It's just gonna be fantastic. Scott, where can they sign up to watch? So you go to PassoverCharlotte.com and you will see the event live. Uh, we, we have folks already going to be in the studio yeah, here, right. so you'll see it live as they're seeing it yeah. live, so it's not pre-taped yeah, that, that part sold like that. out. I mean, that part sold out within literally, I think, 72 oh, hours yeah, or think, something along those lines. Yep. It, it was just quick, boom, and it was out. Uh, and that also reminds me, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't become an Ambassador Club member, that's one of the perks of being an ambassador yeah. is you get to hear about these events 
first. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage everybody, if you haven't become an Ambassador Club member yet, you need to get with Angie Clark and you need to become an Ambassador Club member. Yep, and on the bottom of his screen there, you'll see how to do that. It's just a rudeawakening.tv slash ambassador and that will show you what it's all about, how to get yeah. involved and that kind of thing. And to, uh, again, get your tickets for uh, Passover online is passovercharlotte.com <laughs> and uh, there's a special price on right now. That's right. Uh, and you will see that and uh, yeah, so... It's a good thing, ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to miss it. The Seder's coming, so get yep. prepared. And in fact, that price is only good for a few more days. You know, right. we're at February 10th now. That ends on the 14th. That's okay? right. That's so that right. price changes mm -hmm. on the 15th. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, and in fact, it, I think it's going up about $20. Yeah. And so this is the early bird price. You only have a few days left to do that. So this is why you're thinking, well, why wouldn't I buy it now? Why wouldn't I just buy it the night before and watch right. it the night before? And because you're going to miss out on a special exactly. deal. That's why. And a lot of people do. But right. this is a special time, ladies and gentlemen. You can get that ticket. It's going to be less money and it'll be a great thing for you to have. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to want to see Passover 2023. Absolutely. And you're going to want to see our love gift too. And we'll talk about that in the commercial coming up. But first, tonight you are going to see this. It just makes my stomach churn because not only is it false and blatantly so, it is extremely blasphemous extraordinarily blasphemous. All right, so there you have it, extraordinarily blasphemous. Wow, some strong words from Jake Hilton about artwork that Joseph Smith says depicts Yehovah in Egyptian mythology. You've got to hear this one. Now, stay tuned for The Kiddush with Michael. We'll be right back. What made Yeshua different from the rabbis of his time? Why did everyone run to see him wherever he went? What was it that made his message so radical? Yeshua sits down among a crowd, like any teacher should do, and he begins a powerful message that spans several chapters, and it's radical, and it's messy, and it's hard. The Radical Rabbi with Pastor Matthew Vanderels brings context and clarity to the culture of the first century explaining how Yeshua's teachings were able to convince a people surrounded by rules and religion to lead their lives in a radically different way. The Radical Rabbi with Matthew Vanderels is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in February, we'll send you The Radical Rabbi on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Radical Rabbi plus the Faith and Generosity box set, featuring a solid wood pen, a 150-page journal, and a unique coffee mug featuring the story of the widow's might. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. The Radical Rabbi, the Faith and Generosity box set, plus a pair of authentic Jerusalem stone candle holders, decorated with replicas of ancient biblical medals. Get these gifts now for a limited time from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rood Awakening International in February. Call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. On the morning that the Passover lambs were selected, there were two loaves that were put on the wall of the temple. 
When the first one was removed, after that, no more leavened bread was eaten. When the second loaf was removed, then all of the leavened bread in the land of Israel was then burned because the Feast of Unleavened Bread was going to commence at sunset that evening. The night before, Yeshua took artos. He took leavened bread and he blessed the Most High in the presence of his disciples and he interpreted the Kadosh Mikra, the holy rehearsal that Melchizedek put in place with Abraham. Yeshua said the prayer of the Melech Zadik. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then Yeshua took the cup. And he said, Baruch Atah, Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then he said, you take my cup, divide it among yourselves. I will not drink a sip of the fruit of the vine till I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. So as often as we do this now, we rehearse not only his death, but we rehearse that we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and at the marriage supper of the Lamb, he will take his cup and say, Lahaim to life everlasting. And until then, Shabbat Shalom. In a moment, you will see the video wall behind me with what looks to be a logo for Shabbat Night Live. I'm telling you, that's not really it. If you look closely at that logo, you, you will actually see that it is an alien message telling you about nuclear war coming to Oregon. If that sounds ridiculous, just wait. Jake Hilton. <laughs> Welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. We've been talking about the ridiculous things that Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormon Church, was telling people about a particular papyrus from Egypt and what it had said, hoping to dupe everyone because no one else at his time knew Egyptian and he just thought he could get away with it and say it was whatever he thought it was. Right. Now that we know better, last episode we discovered that his discoveries or his translation was absolutely embarrassing. Embarrassingly false. Ridiculous. Ridiculously false. But now we're gonna go from the ridiculous to the blasphemous. Yes. With another part of that papyrus called facsimile two. Is that right? right? Okay. No one could read Egyptian his time, but for the last 100, even 140 years, Egyptologists have been able to read Egyptian as easily as they can read Latin or really any other language. We've seen Joseph Smith is ridiculously false with his translations, but now you'll see something, I say it's sickening. 
So it's not just not just humorous or funny, but this one is like, whoa, this, wait a well, minute. Well, we've seen one can laugh at and say, like, that's just ridiculous. I laugh at that. What we see now is stomach churning. Certainly anyone who has that foundation in the Torah, you're going to see this and go, that is sickening. That is one of the most blasphemous things I have ever seen in my life. Cool. Particularly those with you know that Torah background who know the Almighty God's perspective when it comes to false deities, these pagan deities. So we turn to the Book of Abraham, facsimile number two. We got this circular amulet-looking thing with all of this Egyptian hieroglyphs and these images. images. What is this, in fact? This is an Egyptian hypocephalus. It is a funerary amulet, and that's what this means, hypocephalus, it means under the head. As you can see in the image, whenever they would bury certainly a significant figure, and it's usually only the significant figures in Egypt's history that would go through this whole mummification process. Uh, certainly it wasn't reserved for everyone. This is reserved more for the royalty. They would take one of these circular amulets written on papyri. They would place it beneath the head of the mummified individual in their sarcophagus, and it means under the head. And what the hypocephalus represents is the pupil of the eye of Osiris, Osiris being the god of the dead. We saw previously from facsimile one and three last week that this is the book of breathings of this individual whore and his journey into the afterlife. And there in facsimile three, he's being presented to Osiris. That's that god of the dead, like a king god of the Egyptians. So here, it's the, it represents the eye or the pupil of the eye of Osiris in that image of he's, he's watching over this individual mm. in the afterlife. That's the whole Egyptian mythology behind this. And it's important to know that, as this image shows, there have been many of these hypocephalus amulets discovered in Egypt. What you're looking at here is just six of them, but there have been many dozens of them found. And... A lot of them are tremendously similar. They have the same Egyptian hieroglyphs on them. They have the same imagery. Some are slightly different, but most of them contain the same type of imagery. So the same story of the afterlife. The so same kind of story. Yeah, the okay. same imagery that, hey, this person, they travel off into the afterlife to be presented to Osiris, to be justified forever. And we're going to tell the same basic story for this other individual as well. That's kind of what's going on here. Now, the hypocephalus that fell into the hands of Joseph Smith, as represented by the drawing off to the left, it was also a fragment. It wasn't a complete hypocephalus. You can see the, the scribbled in lines. So those are the portions of the hypocephalus that were not intact or were not complete. So he ultimately ended up with, I would say, probably 80% of a complete hypocephalus. So we have the one on the left, which is the drawing, and then on the right, we have what appears in the Book of Abraham with that etching around the parts that Joseph Smith filled in. What we're going to do with this particular hypocephalus is we're just going to flip it upside down because you got two sides of the hypocephalus. You got the one that's facing up and then the side that's facing down. We're gonna flip it upside down, just do a 180 on it, and focus only on one small portion 
of this particular hypocephalus. So this hypocephalus, there is, there's a portion, there's a line at a certain point, and then everything underneath there is drawn upside down, or the right. other way, is that it, how it's, this works? Yeah, it's a circle, yeah. you got basically a line through its median, above it you got you know, figures going this direction, and then below it you got figures going okay. this direction. Got it. So the only thing we've done is we've just flipped it around and we're gonna look at one particular figure in this hypocephalus, and that figure is right here as represented in these red circles. Going back, look carefully, you can see that what Joseph Smith had was the majority of that section. He had the majority of it. It was only really cut off at its border, at its edge. But he did have the majority of this section that we are now going to look at. Here is a zoom up image of that particular section as it appears in the Book of Abraham. It is figure seven of facsimile two. And Joseph Smith's interpretation and translation of this is, this represents God sitting upon his throne. And the aspect that, he, that what he's referring to when he says God is shown here in this red circle. You got this individual, he's on a throne, he's sitting down. This represents God sitting upon his throne, revealing through the heavens the grand key words of the priesthood, as also the sign of the Holy Ghost unto Abraham in the form of the dove. Form of the dove is across from that individual, but we're gonna to get to that individual later. Let's first focus on this individual in the red circle. Now again, going back to the other hypocephalus amulets that have been uncovered from the land of Egypt, as well as dozens of hieroglyphs that are on walls throughout temples in Egypt, as well as physical three-dimensional artifacts, Egyptologists know exactly who this individual is. Now, Joseph Smith saying that, you know, by the power and the authority of God, I've translated this, this book of Abraham and this figure on the throne, this is God. This is the almighty God, Yehovah. But is that true? <laughs> so first of all, this is the God whom we are never to draw out or have a picture of or never make a, a, a depiction of. He's the invisible God and we've never seen his form. Yeah, he's the invisible God. And Joseph Smith comes in and says, okay, this individual on the throne here, this represents God. This is the almighty. And Abraham drew him. Abraham drew this. Okay. Okay. Well, Egyptologists know exactly who this figure is. Allow me to introduce to you Min. He is the male Egyptian god of sex and fertility. And he's always represented, as you can see in this hieroglyph here, three very distinct aspects of this particularly vile Egyptian god. And those three aspects are shown here with the three red circles. He's always represented with an erect penis, and then he's got his right arm to the square, and above his right arm, we have the flail, which represents the power or the authority of the pharaoh. This is Min. And I would ask you to compare the two side by side. Mm. We see the same individual, we see the erect penis, we see the arm to the square, and we also see the triangle-shaped flail above the arm. All Egyptologists know this, and 
all professor, scholar to leadership level individuals of the LDS church. They also know this. They just sweep it under the rug and don't make mention of it. But we're focusing on it now because it's one thing to point out false translations and have a laugh over it. It's another thing to say, this guy claims to be a prophet of God, and yet this is who he identifies as the Almighty by, quote, revelation? Hmm. Okay, the Egyptian God men. We look at these two side by side. On the left here, we have the Book of Abraham, Hypocephalus, with those small additions made by Joseph Smith. And then on the right, we have another Egyptian hypocephalus, which is complete. And in this image, you can see it so much clearer exactly what that is. It is that erect phallic symbol. This is the erect penis of the god Min. And throughout Egypt, as shown here, he's always represented the exact same way. Erect penis, right arm to the square, and that triangular flail above his arm, representing that authority of the pharaoh. So this is Min, a truly vile, despicable pagan deity. And coming up, we're even going to read a quote from a BYU scholar, uh, Brigham Young University of the LDS Church, BYU scholar and professor, arguably the most famous BYU scholar and professor in all church history. His name's Hugh Nibley, and he knows exactly who this is, and he even talks about how vile this individual is. But he doesn't care that Joseph Smith identifies God as this being. He just doesn't care. Now, what we're seeing in both the hypocephalus as well as Egyptian hieroglyphs is we're looking at a two-dimensional image of this being men. And one might ask, where's his other arm and hand, <laughs> right? You look at this individual and you're like, well, I really only see one arm and that flail above the one arm. And it looks like the other arm is cut off. It's not there. You know, where's his other arm and hand? Thanks to actual artifacts that have been uncovered from Egypt, we know exactly what his other arm and hand, what they're doing and where they are. The other arm and hand are coming down close to his body, and he's got his left hand wrapped around that erect penis. This is men. This is who Joseph Smith says is God, represents God on his throne. Let's get to this quote from Hugh Nibley, LDS scholar and apologist, BYU professor. As the supreme sex symbol of gods and men, men behaves with shocking promiscuity, which is hardly relieved by his ritual nature. His sacred plants were aphrodisical, and he is everywhere represented as indulging in incestuous relationships with those of his immediate family. Pause right there incestuous relationships with his immediate family. Not only is Min this Egyptian god of sex and fertility, but his mother, according to Egyptian mythology, is Isis, whom Min also marries. He marries his own mother and has sex with his own mother. I'm seeing some real blasphemous, disgusting, uh, 
Number one, completely opposite of Torah. Number number one, you shall not have, you know, we know all that. It's pretty Like obvious. as far from Torah as West is from East, as, you know, you know, if, if Torah is represented as pure white, pure purity and holiness, which it is, this is pure blackness. This is pitch blackness. Yeah, this is Satan. purposely doing the opposite. Oh yeah, total opposite from God, his ways, his Torah, everything. So getting back to Hugh Nibley, he acknowledges who this is, that this is men, and he indulges in incestuous relationships with those of his immediate family. He had the most numerous and varied religious entourage of all the gods, consisting mostly of his huge harem, and the hymns, or rather chanting, of his worshipers were accompanied with lewd dancing and carousing to the exciting stimulus of a band of sistrum-shaking damsels. Basically, when it came to the worship of this god men, we're talking about sexual orgies, everything evil and abominable that you can imagine. Sounds just like the pagan uh, uh, temple rituals as oh, well, same type of thing. Most certainly. In, even in biblical times, yeah. Most certainly, no question, no question. And this right here, this disgusting men character from Egypt mythology, Joseph Smith says, this represents God. This represents the almighty God sitting upon his throne it just makes my stomach churn because not only is it false and blatantly so, it is extremely blasphemous, extraordinarily blasphemous. I'm going to say that the Almighty God, who numerous times throughout the Torah as well as throughout the rest of the Bible, speaks concerning his loathing of these beings, these pagan deities, here, Joseph Smith steps in and says, I'm a prophet of God. I can translate this by the power of God. And this right here represents the Almighty. If that's not blasphemy, I don't know what is. I mean, seriously, if that cannot be considered as blasphemous, then there is no such thing as blasphemy. There can't be. So if we look at this and we say, okay, so Joseph Smith, no one else knew Egyptian hieroglyphics at the time. No one. He claims that he can read this thing. He says, oh, that's, uh, that's this and that and the other thing mm. without really knowing what that God is. What, what takes that from a simple, oops, I didn't know who that was, to blasphemous? Is it, is it the, I mean, does this sort of prove to us in a way that he heard from Satan and Satan says, uh, yeah, that's God because yeah, that's I God. know that is the most vile anti-representation of Yehovah. What takes it from that realm of, I'm just sharing my thoughts and my opinions, which could be either true or false. I could be totally ignorant about this particular subject matter. I'm guessing to absolute blasphemy of the Almighty is that Joseph Smith is not in any way, shape or form claiming that this is his opinion. This is, according to Joseph, what is taught, what he taught, and what the LDS Church continues to teach. This is revelation from the Almighty. This is God speaking to him and showing him what these things represent. That's why it's blasphemous. It's not just, you see that? You got a being kind of sitting on a throne-like thing. I think that's God. That is not what this is. This is Joseph Smith making an extraordinary claim 
And if there's anything I know, it's that whenever somebody makes an extraordinary claim, you better have extraordinary evidence to back up that claim. Now, Moses had some pretty extraordinary claims, <laughs> but he also provided exceptionally extraordinary evidence to back up his claims. I think of Exodus chapter 19, where Yehovah speaking to Moses, he's saying, what I'm about to do with you, Moses, these people will never question. These people will never forget. I'm going to do something that is objective for a people up to 2 million in number. They're all going to experience it. They're all going to see it. And they're going to know that you and I, Moses, we're tight. They're going to see the evidence. I mean, they already have seen the evidence with the plagues in Egypt and the crossing, the dividing of the Red Sea, crossing on dry ground. But they're about to witness in cloud, but you witness my glory to an you know, extent, and they're going to even hear my voice. They're going to know that you are my main man, Moses. Joseph Smith is making basically the same type of claims. I am a prophet like Moses. I'm receiving revelation from God, and here is that translation from God. Mm where he identifies the Almighty as one of the most vile, not just any vile pagan deity, but one of the most vile pagan deities. I have a feeling we're not done yet. There's not more, done yet. more explanation to this, so hang oh, yes. tight. <laughs> Stay tuned for the second half. Thank you for bringing Jake here through your donations that this happens. Thank you for continuing to do so so that others can see this important stuff into the future on things we've never heard before. So thank you again. We'll give you a couple minutes to do just that, and we will be right back. Thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. Well, we have definitely seen so far in this episode, Jake, that uh, what's, what seems to be one thing and is definitely another, at least one should make the mistake later of saying, oh, we were wrong, never mind, that whole Book of Abraham thing, uh, we were mistaken, it's not what it is. Mm -hmm. But it continues today, they continue to sweep it under the rug and still keep it as part of the, uh, what is that third Book of Mormon called? It's in called the, book the Pearl of Great Price. Pearl of Great Price, it's still in there. It, oh, it's canonized scripture. And the LDS Church can't get rid of it, even though the leadership knows exactly what it is. They can't get rid of it because to get rid of it would be to get rid of Mormonism's founder. If, if the LDS Church today came out and said, the book of Abraham is completely false and even blasphemous, the whole church would be in an uproar going, well, not only have you guys been telling us for the last 190 years or some odd years that it's true and scripture, but you've been telling us that Joseph Smith translated that by the power and the authority of God. Well, Joseph Smith also made this other claim that he translated that Book of Mormon by the power and the authority of God. What other things have you been lying to us about? So the whole thing goes poof. Oh yeah. If the LDS Church ever came out and disregarded the book of Abraham, threw it out the window, the entire LDS church would collapse. Wow. No question. So no wonder it's perpetuated. Yeah. They, so they, they know about this. They've known about it for at least that last hundred years, at least since 1916, when a group of Egyptologists looked at this stuff and like, this is totally false. They've known about it since 1916 at least, but they perpetuate it because... Hmm. Uh, they can't get rid of Joseph Smith. So we learned about the figure sitting on the throne is definitely not Yehovah. 
It's Definitely men. Not. There's a, this disgusting, vile creature of whom we shall not speak anymore from Ugh. Egyptology. But then there's this other uh, thing to the left that looks, well, what Joseph Smith said was a, uh, a dove because it looked like, well, he assumed it was a Holy Spirit because it kind of looked like a dove. Uh, are there problems with that part of it too? Right. So getting back to Joseph Smith and that figure seven of facsimile two, we're now going to look at this individual in the red circle that Joseph Smith says, the sign of the Holy Ghost unto Abraham in the form of a dove. Let's look at this. Once again, numerous hypocephalus artifacts have been found. We know exactly who this character is. Is it a dove? Is it some Holy Spirit? No. As shown here, this is the Egyptian deity Nahebka. He's the Egyptian god of protection and magic and is literally represented as a snake with arms, legs, and an erect penis. So how did the image that Joseph Smith, did he draw that in? I mean, how did it well, get so Remember what we talked about before. He, the portion that had Nehebka oh, on missing. his hypocephalus, right. it was slightly cut off. So he had to fill in just a little bit of that portion. He had the whole portion of men, no question. But like the tail end of Nehebka, he didn't have. So he just fills it in, makes it look like a dove, and says, this is the Holy Ghost. This got, is the Holy Spirit. He got it a little wrong. <laughs> Just a little bit. No, it's Nehebka. It is a literal serpent. Mm. The very thing that is used by God to represent the devil himself, Joseph Smith says, no, that's the Holy Spirit of God. Wow. Here are other representations of the same disgusting Egyptian pagan deity, Nehebka. Min and Nehebka, Joseph Smith says, this represents God sitting upon his throne, revealing through the heavens the grand key words of the priesthood. And those, quote, grand key words is he's referencing what goes on in LDS temples, a lot of that masonry, secret handshakes and secret password kind of nonsense. It's all, you know, bogus. You can check that out online if you would like. It's just disgusting. But he says, Min represents God and Nehebka represents the Holy Ghost. False and double blasphemy. That's exactly what that is. Absolute double blasphemy. We have the word of the master Yeshua written in Mark, Matthew, and Luke about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Yeshua says, Truly I, Yeshua Messiah, say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter... But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And he said this because they, that is the scribes and Pharisees, they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Going back to verse 22 of Mark 3, it reads, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he, Yeshua, is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. That's what these scribes and Pharisees are saying. Hey, that, that spirit within you, Yeshua, which of course is holy, the Holy Spirit of God Almighty, no, that's actually the prince of the demons. That's this being of darkness. And in response to this, Yeshua says, whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit, you are guilty of an eternal sin. You have blasphemed against God Almighty. You never have forgiveness. 
this is what Joseph Smith does with Min and Nehebka. Absolute blasphemy. Joseph Smith steps in and supposedly by revelation, he says, this is God and the Holy Spirit. Slug to the gut. It's, it's, it's the death blow to Mormonism. And there's plenty of death blows. What we saw previously with Isaiah chapter mm-hmm. 11, all you need to do is know your Bible, even just a little bit, and you can see that's a death blow to Mormonism. This is a double death blow. This is, Joseph Smith isn't just a false prophet. He is a liar, fraud, fake, phony, blasphemer. And as Yeshua says, look, this is an eternal sin. You've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit of God. And there's even a quote that's attributed to Joseph Smith that indicates he knew exactly what he was doing. Mm, Really? We get to this quote. Again, it's credited to Joseph Smith. And it says, what a strange people these Mormons are. They are like a flock of sheep. If I should jump into hell, I believe they would follow me. This is documented. <laughs> really? He's actually said this. Credited to him. It's a, it's a second you know, hand account. Okay. It's not like written directly by him. But at the very least, a second hand account, an individual saying, I heard Joseph Smith say this, hmm. that, you know, these Mormons are, they're kind of an odd people. I, I'm, <laughs> they're like that flock of sheep <clears throat> and I'm a complete wolf in sheep's clothing. And if I were to jump into hell, I believe they would follow me. I think Joseph Smith knew exactly where he was going. Hmm. I'm just gonna drag down as many people as I possibly can with me. Or I duped a few folks, but wow, I didn't think it would work that well. Perhaps in his day, the ultimate number of people that he duped was even in the tens of thousands, but it has become dozens of millions throughout the last 190 years. The membership, standing membership today is over 16 million, and that's just those that are alive today. You look at the last 190 years, dozens of millions of people have been deceived by this blasphemer and false prophet. Mm. That's why we need to raise the warning voice. That's why this is one of the, the strongest motives that I have with the establishment of the Sword of Yehovah Ministries. I came out of this disgusting false religion, this dangerous religion, as I have said, into Torah, relationship with Yehovah and his son Yeshua, and I'm just filled with this desire to reach my people, those people that are my family, my friends, my relations, those people that I was born and raised with, raise the warning voice and say, you guys really need to know what this thing is. You need to know what your religion is. It's not from God, it is from Satan. All right. And all you can do is sound the alarm. You can't change the heart. That's up to Jehovah. Absolutely. That has to be his doing. And right. So uh, applaud what, what you're doing. This is great. So. Appreciate that. Thank you, Scott. And all praise and glory be to Jehovah. Amen. Now, when we get back to the book of Abraham, let's turn to multiple quotes from actual Egyptologists who have examined the book of Abraham and let's see what they have to say about this book. (laughs) First one is from W.M. Flinders, and he says, it may be safely said that there is not one single word that is true in these explanations. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No bones about that one. Yeah, not one single word. It is all false. 
A.D. Sayer says, it is difficult to deal seriously with Joseph Smith's impudent fraud. His facsimile from the book of Abraham number two is an ordinary hypocephalus, but the hieroglyphics upon it have been copied so ignorantly that hardly one of them is correct. And number three from facsimile three is a representation of the goddess Mat leading the pharaoh Hor before Osiris, behind whom stand the goddess Isis. Smith has turned the goddess into a king and Osiris into Abraham. Which we had noted earlier just from glancing at it. Yeah. You just, had not shown me that before, just by the way. No, you just glance at it. I went, oh, like, there's two women. I'm like, well, he says, and then I, thought, I thought I was missing something because you said, <laughs> well, that's a king and that's a prince. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What? You just need to look at it. You're like, those are clearly two women. Well, I, I looked at the I image again. I don't need to again. read one hieroglyph. No, and, and I looked at the image again because I thought, well, maybe I got the numbers mixed up. Was that number three and number... Right. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's crazy. Totally crazy. Arthur C. Mace, the book of Abraham, it is hardly necessary to say, is a pure fabrication. Joseph Smith's interpretation of these cuts is a farago of nonsense from beginning to end. Egyptian characters can now be read almost as easily as Greek, and five minutes study in an Egyptian gallery of any museum should be enough to convince any educated man of the clumsiness of the imposture. Some strong words here. Extremely strong words. And this last one in particular, I think, says it all. Robert K. Rittner said, except for those willfully blind, the case is closed. The case is closed. Mm. We know exactly what this, these papyri, the papyri say. We know exactly what they say. They're the whore, book of breathings, book of the dead. We know everything it says. And we know with absolute certainty that 100% of everything Joseph Smith said it said is false. <laughs> false and disgustingly blasphemous. 1912. <laughs> 1912. This is from the New York Times headline article, Museum Walls Proclaim Fraud of Mormon Prophet. Sacred books claimed to have been given divinely to the first prophet, Joseph Smith, are shown to be taken from old Egyptian originals, their translation being a work of the imagination. It's almost 110 years ago. It basically, yeah, and yet this it's December, still, 110 years ago. And still, they you know, just, So I, I had mentioned you know, earlier the year 1916, that was a year when a particular LDS scholar he sent the Book of Abraham and the papyri off to some Egyptologists to get their take on it. But four years previous to that, there were already Egyptologists looking into this claim. They tell the New York Times, and the New York Times is like, look at this. <laughs> 110 years later, this yeah. LDS church is still clinging to this book because they have to. They have to. Because to get rid of the book is to get rid of Joseph Smith, and to get rid of Joseph Smith is to get rid of all of it. Mm. Wow. Museum walls proclaim fraud of Mormon prophet. That is crazy. And what you're about to see, two quotes from the same individual. He's one of these uh, members of the LDS Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. It's basically highest tier of leadership, you know, second only to the first presidency. And it's quotes like this that tell me 
these people know that we were talking about previously about, you know, is it possible that they're just ignorant, they've been deceived, or do these people know? They know. They absolutely know. Mm. And what they teach their membership about hiding the truth, truly sickening. This was from an individual named Boyd K. Packer. And in 1981, he was giving a, um, basically a talk to church seminary teachers. So we got a whole group of church seminary teachers lined up and professors, and here he is, a leader of the church, stands before all of them, and he's like, okay, I need to give you guys some instruction. Give you instruction because you're gonna give instruction to the students. And he said, there is a temptation for the writer or the teacher of church history to want to tell everything, whether it is worthy or faith-promoting or not. Some things that are true are not very useful. Those of you who are employed by the church have a special responsibility to build faith, not destroy it. But it's not faith in God, and it's not faith in Jesus. It's not faith in the Bible. It's faith in them. It's faith in Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and all of his stuff. If you're employed by the LDS church, this is your responsibility. Build faith in the church. And this next quote from the same individual, in 1992, excuse me, this was 1976 that he said this, he said, quote, I have a hard time with historians because they idolize the truth. The truth is not uplifting, it destroys. Historians should tell only that part of the truth that is inspiring and uplifting. So to heck with the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yeah, get that rid of doesn't it. Doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Just whatever's It's like imagine applying this to you're a history teacher for World War II. Exactly what are you going to be teaching on? Or you, there was no aspect of World War II that was sunshine and rainbows that was inspiring and uplifting, or ex, or I should say, extremely little. It was barbaric, it was brutal, it was blood, guts, and gore. It was awful stuff, but it still happened. It's a historical fact. It's the truth that these things occurred. If you are a teacher of history, you would be a fraud and a failure as a teacher to ignore all of that because, well, it's not uplifting and it's not inspiring. Well, even biblical. Okay, so that's like taking <laughs> the crucifixion of Yeshua's. Never mind the that was ugly. You know, it, Very ugly. the whipping, all that. The oh, scourging. The scourging. No, horrific. Let's let's skip. Let's ignore it. Yeah, let's ignore that. Even the fact that he died. Yeah. You know that's that's bad too. So here he is in his resurrected body. Never mind how he got there. Mm -hmm. It's just here's Yeshua in his resurrected body. Right. I, that, I mean, there goes the whole God. I mean, the whole the whole truth of the gospel of Yeshua dying and, and being raised. Exactly. It's like without looking at the ugly, you can't see the beauty. Yeah. You, we you you see the the darkness, and you can contrast it to the light. And in this teaching series thus far, there's been a lot of darkness seen in this false and dangerous religion of Mormonism, right from its founder, Joseph Smith, and right from the source, the devil himself. A lot of darkness, but 
with my particular ministry, the Sword of Yehovah Ministries, a uh, ministry which, which bears the, the holy name of our Father in heaven, it is always my hope to, yes, have a focus on the light, have a focus on the, what is pure and holy, but you have to still see the ugliness. You have to still go, look, there is an enemy out there who's that roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. We need to be vigilant people. We need to beware. Yeshua knew this better than anyone. Watch out for false prophets because they're out there. They're gonna appear to you like cute, you know, pure, cuddly sheep, but they are ravenous wolves mm. and they want to devour you. Joseph Smith is one of these ravenous wolves. The leadership of the LDS church are all ravenous wolves. They may look cute and cuddly, but they're ferocious. Beware of them. And this is the kind of stuff that they teach. If it's not uplifting and not inspiring, if it's not faith promoting in us and our church, well, just ignore it. Hmm. Don't teach it. If you're a teacher of you know, church history, you just push all this stuff aside and just focus on what's uplifting. Yeah, that's clearly a quote of, look, we know, but. Oh yeah, yeah. they know. They really do know that they just, we're not gonna look at this stuff. Mm. You know, <laughs> we have, have not answered the most, in question, most important question yet, which is, okay, we know all this, what do we do with this? What, what, right. what, what can I do? We know what you're doing, but mm -hmm. what can we do about this to, to help bring this truth out? So right. I think we could squeeze out one more episode. I think could, that we, we got that one week? more episode. Yes, okay. we do. Great. Because you know, it's one thing to expose the problem, but it's another thing to also present the solution to that problem, and right. that's what I would like to do next time. Okay, great. Well, we'll come back, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for bringing Jake to us. Hope you're getting something out of this, and uh, hey, you know what? Get the DVD set so you can pass this to other folks or show it to them on YouTube, however you want to get this out. Let's just get this out, because this is important. This is deceiving millions of people, and uh, there's something you can do about it, which we're going to find about find all about uh, next week. So come back and see us. Until then, Shavuot Tov, and we'll see you again on Shabbat Night Live.